Thank you, Pastor Michael. I do want to make one thing clear, and that is I'm from the Lines area, not, not the Varea area. Um, there, there, there's a massive difference there. And so I just wanted to make that clear. Pastor Michael, he don't, he don't really know that. But uh, there's a few of us that do. It is an honor to be here with you this morning. Uh, let me just say this about your pastor, okay? Uh, for me, one, he's been such a tremendous blessing to me in, in the time that I've had to, to get to know him over the past couple of years. But if there is a pastor in our area, and I know a lot of pastors We've got a lot of great pastors in the Savannah area that we work with very closely with FCA. But if there is a pastor that has challenged me in the area of, of keeping the spiritual disciplines, that would be that guy sitting right back there. Let me tell you, I can go into the front porch just about any day of the week, and he's going to be there, and he's going to be at that big table all by himself most of the time, taking up the whole table. But he's going to have his Bible out. He's going to be preparing He's going to be learning. He's going to be growing in his relationship with God. And to me, that speaks volumes because at one time that we were church planners, me and my family, my wife and daughter sitting right back there on the back row. They were embarrassed to sit up front with me. And so I just want to make mention that they're back there. Um, But we were church planners at one time, and that is not an easy journey. As a matter of fact, it was probably the most difficult season of our lives We moved up to Nashville, Tennessee in 2012 and for a year and a half, two years, tried to make something happen up there and it just never clicked and we went through some of the most difficult circumstances we would ever face. Um, And and a lot of that was a result of my own disciplines not being where they needed to be as a leader. But I can tell you, you guys have a pastor that is keeping that at the forefront of his life and his family and his ministry. Pastor Michael, I'm, I'm appreciative of those times that I walk in and I see you uh, studying and, and growing in your relationship with, with God. So just wanted to, to mention that. I want to make the most of our time, and so we're going to hop right in this morning. I want you to go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 3. As you're doing that, I just want to pray for us real quick, and then we'll hop right into what I believe God has placed on my heart to share with you. Father, we are we're just grateful to be in your presence today grateful to to know that you love us, that there's nothing we can do to earn it, that there's nothing that we can do, God, to, to make you love us any more than you already do. And God, we're grateful for that because sometimes we can we can be pretty messed up. Sometimes we don't get it right, but God, you are right there. You're drawing us under yourself on a consistent basis. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we continue through this service, I thank you for the worship. I thank you for, for those that led us into your presence. Uh, but God, I pray as we get into your word that you would speak with clarity, that you would help me to speak with boldness and with courage. And God, that you would just declare your word over these people today. God, challenge us, help us to be better when we leave today than we came in. We love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. I do want to give a big shout out to Chris Brown. Where's Chris? Is he, is he left the room? He's in there. Chris Brown, me and Chris go back a, a very long ways. And so it's always good to be able to be somewhere where there's friends and and, and people that uh, we deeply care about. And so, Chris, it's good to, good to see you today. I want to take you back about 18 years. I'm a senior at Toombs County High School, which is in Lyons, not in Vidalia. Um, and we're, we're, 
We're playing third round football state playoffs. We're playing a team called Washington Wilkes up in the Augusta area. I'm a senior that year. I'm a starter at defensive back wide receiver. And I was also the punter on that football team. And, and it was a big game for us. I had the ability throughout my high school career to play on some really good football teams. Uh, I wasn't really all that good. They just needed some, somebody uh, to fill a spot. So that's typically whenever I found my way onto the football field. But, um, but we're in the middle of this, actually at the start of this game, we're about halfway through the first quarter. I'm pl- out at defensive back and they threw a, a swing pass to one of their receivers who was much bigger than me. And so as a little, uh, a little white defense, slow white defensive back, the first thing that you do whenever you've got a, a guy coming out with the ball on you is you go straight for the kneecaps. I mean, that's just what you do. You're trying to go as low as you can so that you don't get ran over or plowed. And so I go down low and, and the player's knee kind of goes through my head. I made the tackle, but whenever I got up off the ground, I could tell that something wasn't right. Something just wasn't all there. And so I'm kind of wandering around the field. I, I, I really don't know where I'm at. I don't know what I'm doing. And the only thing I know to do is to run over to my coach Coach Mark Stroud, who's now the, the head football coach at Calvary Day School, and, and to let him know, Coach, I, I don't even know where I'm at right now. Like, something's going on. I think I've got a concussion. Like, I have no idea what's going on. And so I run over to, to, to our sideline to where Coach was, and, and I said, Coach, I, I, I think you need to take me out. I don't know what's going on. I think I've got a concussion. And he looked at me, and he said, he said Woody, that was my nickname. He said, Woody, I need you to go back in, but here's what I, I need you to go and take Thez's spot. Thez was our star athlete, ended up being the, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution Offensive Player of the Year that year, got a scholarship to go play at South Carolina, had just about every uh, SEC school uh, was, was recruiting Thez. And uh, during the same play, Thez had gotten injured. And so coach was telling me, I don't care what's going on with you right now. Thez is our guy. He's our star player. I just need you to get back out there. And as a matter of fact, just go in his position. And so I didn't... I didn't even know where I was supposed to line up at DB. And so I go out, I'm confused, I'm lost, and I'm, I'm standing there right beside, or I'm kind of in a position right beside our middle linebacker. Our middle linebacker, he looks at me, and he's like, he's like, Woody, what are you doing? What are you? And I'm like, bro, I, I don't know. I, I don't even know where to line up. I don't know what I'm doing. I, where, where am I at? Like, whose team am I on? Like, what is going on right now? And, and he looked at me, and he got me in place. And so we went through that defensive series. We stopped them. We went back on offense. We went through it three and out, and I line up the punt. Thez is still injured on the sidelines. I line up the punt. We're probably on our 30, our own 35-yard line, so I'm punting from about our 20. And I took the snap, and I didn't know what to do because I didn't know where I was at. And so I rolled right and just threw a pass downfield as far as I could Ended up getting intercepted. Thankfully, it wasn't returned for a touchdown. It was at that point right there, I I threw that ball, and I was standing right on our sidelines that Coach Stroud grabbed me by the shoulder pads, and he said, okay, go sit on the bench because something is not right with you. Uh, I can promise you that right now. And so uh, in this moment, I had no ability to play up to my potential, the, the little bit of potential that I had. As a matter of fact, even though throughout my high school career, all four years of football, I had played or I had practiced over a hundred times, different practices, been through different workouts, all these different things. Even in the midst of, of all the practices, I still didn't even know where to line up. I didn't even know where to go. I didn't know where I was at. I didn't know what I was doing. That knee to the head, it took me out 
of what would be my last competitive football game that I would ever play again in my life. Now, you might be wondering, where in the world are you going with this? Let me explain. Uh, Here's the thing. The reality is that if you and I are not careful for whatever reason, maybe it's life circumstances or the difficult, the difficult experiences you have to go through in your life or, or whether it's just out of sheer comfort, if you and I are not careful, we will simply coast through life and we'll coast in our relationship with God and we'll never reach the God-given potential that he created us for. We'll never reach it. We'll never get there. And I don't, I don't know about you, but it excites me to think that the creator of the universe the God that, that spoke this world into existence also created you and he created me with great intentionality, with great purpose, so that we can impact this world in profound ways. Okay, Ultimately, God's desire for us is to always be evolving into the better version of ourselves, that better version of who he created us to be so that we could live in his fullness. That's what God created us for. Every day that, we, that goes by, God's ultimate desire for you and for me is that we are getting better, that we are moving closer to him, that we are getting closer to, to living in his fullness. Jesus, what did Jesus say? Jesus says that, that I have come to, to give them so that they could live in the fullness of, uh, of who I am. The sad reality, though, is this. The sad reality is that most of us will never experience what this is like not because God don't want us to experience it, but because we'll choose not to. Because we'll choose not to, to, to live in the fullness of who he is. We'll be satisfied with, with living way down here in our lives when God says, I created you to live up here. I created you to live in the fullness of who I am. I created you with great purpose and plans for your life. If you would only tap into my fullness, if you would only go all out, if you would only go all in, then I promise you, you'll live way up here and you'll never be satisfied with living down here. And so this is the basis of what I want to share with you over the next couple of minutes this morning. And I believe that, that God placed this on my heart because he desires to challenge us in our growth process. He desires to, to, to challenge us to understand and know that, that it's not about coasting through life. It's not about settling in and just going through the motions, but that he desires for us to live up to the potential that he created us for. Now, I asked you a while ago to turn to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to jump into this, but I, I want to give you a little background of what's taking place in the book of Philippians to, to help make sense of what I'm going to share with you in the next few moments. The book of Philippians, of course, was written by the Apostle Paul uh, to the church at Philippi, uh, which was in the, the Roman colony, okay? And so uh, Paul is writing this letter to these early Gentile Christ followers to encourage them to view their lives in a way that goes beyond their present reality. Okay, he's wanting them to see something bigger. He's wanting them to see that, that it's not just about living life. It's not, about, it's not just about going through the motions. It's not just about coasting through life or coasting in their relationship with, with Jesus. It's more than that, and he wanted them to understand that. And so he's challenging this church at Philippi to live their lives as individuals who are now citizens of a, he, of a heaven, heavenly colony. 
Okay, and so throughout this, this book, we see this, and, and he wants them to understand it's more. You're, you're more than just a part of a Roman colony now. You are a part of a heavenly colony. And, and this was a game changer for them because it marked them in, in their here and now. It marked them in their present reality, but it also marked their future. It also gave them something to look forward to. It also gave, the, gave them something to fix their eyes on. And so in Wesley's easy to understand translation of all this. Throughout the book of Philippians, Paul is basically saying this. He's basically saying, because you are a follower of Jesus, you have citizenship in heaven, but until you get there, until you get to heaven, you need to live a life that matches what, what heaven is going to look like. You need to live a life where you are uh, on a consistent growth, in a consistent growth process and you are a, a carrier of God's presence where, where God's kingdom is here on this earth through your life every single day. And if you're, if you're wondering what that looks like, then we've got this person named Jesus that has already modeled that for us. And so just simply live like Jesus. Are y'all with me? Am I going too fast? Okay, because sometimes I get, I get to preaching and I just, I just start rambling. And this is a good spot for me right here. I'm actually just doing some filler stuff just to take me a drink of water. Is that all right? That's uh, secrets of, of preaching right there. You just kind of start talking. And take you a quick sip of water. The problem is I gave that away. Now, Philippians chapter, chapter 3, starting in verse 1, we're going to get into the scripture. Listen to what Paul says. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice. Somebody say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. In verse 2, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who who mutilate the flesh. Now, let me stop right there and just explain what Paul is doing here. He, he starts off this passage of Scripture with what? To, to do what? With this exhortation to, to rejoice in the Lord. And then all of a sudden, he switches gears really quick, and he gets, he gets really serious with this church at Philippi. Now, you might be wondering what Paul's purpose is in doing this. Here's what's going on. There was a group of, of uh, uh, Jewish Christ followers during that day called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers, what they would do or what they thought was that, that it wasn't enough to just believe in what Jesus accomplished on the cross and through death and resurrection. Okay, so they, what they believed is they, they held very tightly to uh, Jewish ceremonial law. And so what they would do is they would come behind Paul at different places that he would travel and he would preach and people would get saved and, and churches would be planted and, and they would have this solid foundation that Paul had given to this church. And then the Judaizers would come behind Paul and try to undo what Paul had taught. And so this was a nightmare for Paul because... Uh, because Paul, in his teaching, Paul was all about, it was all about grace through faith. It was all about what Jesus accomplished through death and resurrection. And now these people were coming behind saying, no, it's not, it's more than that. You also have to keep this Jewish ceremonial law. And so when it comes to uh, these Gentile Christians, these Judaizers were trying to lock these individuals down with stuff that, that they did not even need, that was not even important 
important to these individuals. And so Paul is giving these early Gentile Christians a very strong warning to stay away from these people because he wanted them to realize salvation didn't come through your, their works. It didn't come because of what they could achieve or, or what they looked like or, or what family they were born into. It didn't come because of that. It didn't come because of external achievement. It was accomplished because of what Jesus did and, and that grace through faith, it paved the way for that. And so he warns them, look out for those dogs. Look out for those evildoers. Look out for those who, who mutilate the flesh. And so let's pick back up in verse 3. Paul continues and he says, for we are for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And listen to what Paul does here. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And so Paul is given his credentials, where he came from, the things that he had achieved, and, and how good he was. And he goes on in verse 7, he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I love this, and, and it's important that we don't miss what Paul is doing here because at first glance, it might would appear that Paul is being prideful, that Paul is being arrogant, that he's being boastful, and he's saying, look at me, look at, look at my credentials. But you have to remember, Paul is dealing with a group of people who are now being influenced by the Judaizers who, who uh, are, are trying to get these, these Gentile Christians to believe that it's all about the external achievement. It's all about keeping alignment with the ceremonial law. It's, out, it's all about the work that they had to put in for them to be right or to be made right with, with God. Now, honestly, this sounds a lot like us. It sounds a lot like you and me, don't it? Us trying to do the right things to be accepted or to be loved by God. The only problem with this mentality, and, and I know that there are things that you and I have to do in our relationship with God to progress and to move forward. There's fruit that has to come for our, from our lives. But here's the problem with trying to get everything right and trying to rely on external achievement and all these different things. The problem with this is the fact that the very things we oftentimes think are most important are often the very things that distract us from what really matters most in our relationship with him. It's these very things that end up being the things that prevent us from growing into our God-given potential and living in the fullness that God created for you and for me. So all those things that we're trying to work for, all those accolades that we're trying to attain, it's oftentimes those things that distract us from the very thing that God says, if you'll, if you'll do this, I promise you'll move forward, you'll grow, you'll progress into who 
I've called you to be. And so Paul is nullifying this idea by saying he's not being arrogant. He's not being boastful. He's nullifying this this idea by saying if there's anyone that can put their confidence in doing the right things or, or external achievement or privilege or where they came from, it would be me. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, if anybody can do that, it would be me. I was the one that was, that, that was born into the tribe of Benjamin. I was the one that was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was the one that was circumcised on the eighth day. I was the one, when it came to, to zeal, I was the one persecuting the church. When it comes to being blameless and keeping, or, or keeping the law, I was the one that was blameless. And so Paul basically is, starts to, to, to say this. He starts to say the very things that, that I even thought was an asset to me at one time in my life, I begin to realize that those things really are just liabilities now when it comes to me becoming and having true intimacy with God and growing or evolving into that, bur- that better version of myself that he created me for. And so these very things that, that, that we are looking at, that you are thinking, that they are trying to tell you is important, the, the accolades, the achievement, the, the, the fact that, that, you are, that you come from this family or whatever, those things are not assets, they're liabilities when it comes to you living in the fullness of what God created you for. And so here's the first point that I want to make to you this morning, if you're taking notes. It's just simply in order for us to grow into our God-given potential, we have to understand that our intimacy with God should always trump our pursuit of external achievement for God. You see, our intimacy with God has to be the number one priority of our lives. If, if you're going to do this thing, if we're going to do this thing right, if we're going to have substantial impact on this earth then that comes from the intimacy that you and I have with God every single day. The effectiveness of your mission will always flow from your intimacy with the Creator. Think about that for a moment. The effectiveness of your mission will always flow from your intimacy with the Creator. You see, we get this backwards. We, we tend to think that work for God creates intimacy, Right? I mean, doesn't that sound like us? Well, if I do enough, if I serve enough, if I say yes enough, if I do this enough or do that enough, when in all actuality, all those things do is just make us busy. Have you ever got so busy doing church that you quit being intimate with God? Yeah. You see, our work doesn't create intimacy. Our intimacy creates the fruit that's born from our lives Every single day. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying not to serve. I'm not saying go to Pastor Michael today and say, hey, you know, that really spoke to me today. Can't serve in children's ministry anymore because, um, yeah, struggling a little bit. No, get your intimacy right, and your serving will be right. I'm saying if you're serving more than you're being intimate, there's a problem with that. We can try to do all the right things and sing all the right songs and have all the right friends and come from the right family and, and know all the right things and still completely miss it if our intimacy with God is off. Still completely miss it. We will never grow, will never evolve into that better version of ourselves that he created us for if intimacy with God does not rule in our lives. Paul, what does he say? He says, I just want to know Christ. All those things, that list of stuff that I just gave to you, that stuff don't mean anything to me anymore. 
It's rubbish. I count it as nothing, the fact that I was born into the tribe of Benjamin. Yeah, it might give me a little favor here, here or there. It might, yeah, it might mean a little something, but the reality is I just want to know Christ. I just want to be found in, in him. I want to share in his sufferings. How often do we say something like that? God, oh, God, I just, Jesus, I just want to share in your sufferings. That don't, that don't come from our mouth a whole lot, does it? Who wants to do that? But that's what Paul's heart was because it was an intimacy thing for Paul. It was this intimacy that would set him up to have the impact that he would have in his walk with Jesus. It was this intimacy that would set him up to to write two-thirds of the New Testament and to start all these churches that were early, early followers of Jesus. It was that intimacy that would flow from his life that would, that, that would help him in the midst of fierce persecution whenever he was being beaten and, and stoned and all these different things, shipwrecked and snake-bitten and all these different things that Paul went through, all those difficult circumstances of, of his life. It was that intimacy that kept him going, that kept him moving. See, I'm convinced the reason why most of us quit the, the reason why most of us quit having impact and, and, and stop going all in is, is because our intimacy is not right. And so then when something destructive happens in our lives or, or life and, and we go through a, a, a struggle or we face persecution in our own lives, whatever that might look like, we throw our hands up because we say, well, it's not worth it. We need to get our intimacy right and then everything will flow from there. The external achievement will come but it takes the intimacy part first. It's not all about that. I remember being back in youth ministry back in the day and from about 2003 to 2012, me and my wife, we served as, as youth pastors in the Toombs County area. And, you know, we, we saw a lot of good success as, as youth pastors. God moved in, in crazy ways and gave us great influence. And I remember getting to a point where we had about 60, 60 young people coming and man, I was trying everything. I was reading all the youth ministry books and, and trying, to, trying to be cool. And, and that's probably when I started wearing skinny jeans and still hadn't got out of them. Uh, you know, just doing whatever I could do to, to try to be cool because I thought that might attract, that might get us over the hump in our youth ministry. And I remember going through a season of my life where, man, you're kicking the can. You're doing everything that you can, that you possibly can to get over this hump of 60 to 70 young people and so frustrating, you're beat down and you're worn out because you're going to this event and that conference and everywhere trying to do all the right things. I remember having this moment with God one day, I'm, I'm praying and, and God begins to check me on this. He began to say, you know, you, you're doing a lot of good stuff except you're not making room for me. And I remember it was whenever I started creating space in my own life for intimacy to rule. And we started creating an environment for young people where intimacy would rule in their lives, in their serving, and in their worship, and the things that they did in service that we began to get over that hump. And God blessed the last four or five years, and we were able to get over that hump in a tremendous way. I believe this happened because we made the decision to move out of the way, and we chose to let intimacy with God rule in our student ministry. Will you choose to let intimacy with God rule in your life? Because if you want to grow into your God-given potential, that intimacy with God has to trump 
our pursuit or our desire for that external achievement that we want to see happen for God. Let's not get that backwards. Continuing in Philippians 3, all the way down, verse 12, Paul, listen to how he continues. I promise I'm not going to be much longer. I know it's just so good. And y'all are like, please don't quit. Just kidding. Y'all are like, uh, whoa. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained, this very familiar passage of scripture, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Think about that for a moment. Paul says, I'm pressing forward in this and in, in the purpose that God has for me and the plans that God has for me. I can do that because Christ has made me his own. Think about how powerful that statement is, that, that, that God has made you his own because of what Jesus accomplished for us. We get to celebrate with those who did baptism today because of the fact that, that they are now his own. He goes on, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. See, Paul says, don't, don't get it twisted. Don't, don't get this thing messed up. I, I, I'm not perfected in this. I don't understand it all. I don't get it all. I have not obtained all this that I'm trying to experience. But here's the one thing I do. I put the stuff behind me behind me. I don't hang my hat on the good, the bad of my past, the successes, the failures. I don't hang my hat on those things. Paul's not saying that we're not supposed to remember He's saying, I'm not going to put my worth in that. I'm not going to hang my hat on those things. I'm not going to let those things be the, the, the dictating factors of my life. I'm just not going to live that, that way. So I'm going to forget those things that are behind. And I'm going to press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to press towards this preferred future that God has for me. And this leads me to my second and last point that I want to share with you this morning. Simply this, if you want to grow into your God-given potential, if you want to mature, if you want to get off that, that, that milk and get to solid food, which is where we ought to be if we are, are a Christ follower, it's amazing to me the number of people in the church today, and we all have a tendency to be there that, that are still on milk whenever we need to be on solid food. But if you want to grow into your God-given potential, you have to remain focused on God's preferred future for your life. You see, here's the reality, and I'm going to start to close if the band wouldn't mind coming up, beginning to play something softly. Here's the... Re- Does nobody do that? <laughs> okay. Um, that, was, that was awkward. Um, y'all, y'all just let me know afterwards what happened there, and, and I'll, be, I'll be good with that. You see, yeah, let me just, let me move on. The band could just go back and be seated. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Here's the reality. God doesn't have to do another thing for any of us in, in this room, even still, what he has promised us in terms of 
future plans that's far greater than anything or blessing you and I could ever imagine. The promise of an eternal hope is more than enough. If God never did anything else for any one of us in this room, I don't think any of us could be mad. Any, nobody could get upset about that because of what God has promised you and me. Because what he's done for us, what he's promised us is, us is more than sufficient. So I don't know what your life looks like right now. I don't know if, if your life is, is all skipping through the, day, the, the lily fields or if everything's good. I don't know if your life is a hot mess. Sometimes my life tends to be a little bit of a hot mess and, and I don't know what's happening from one thing to the next. I don't know where your life is right now. I don't know what your situation is. But here's one thing that I, that I do know. I know that if you're not able to look beyond your present reality and see God's preferred future for your life, then you'll never live in the potential that God created you for. I want to share a quick story. I told you 2012, we moved up to plant a church in the Nashville, Tennessee area. And for us, it was, it was an, an exciting move, very exciting move for us. Uh, I had different individuals throughout my life that had shared, hey, you need to plant a church, you need to plant a church. And in the organization I was a part of, I didn't see me pastoring in South Georgia because most of the churches that you got your start in were, were very small communities. And I didn't think my, my style, I don't know if you could wear skinny jeans in Hoboken, just don't know if that's a thing or not. Uh, they, might, they might shoot you or whatever if you, if you tried to. And so my only, my only hope, my only thought was, well, let's go plant a church. And so we talked with our organization's leadership, and they were excited. Moved out to Murfreesboro, Tennessee in May of 2012 with just so much excitement. And we, we were pumped. We were stoked about what God was going to do. We had some team members that moved up with us. I think the, the day that we moved in, I remember we had some people that moved up with us, my pastor, and then some family members that helped move us. That night, I, I literally laid on the bed, and I think I cried like a little baby in a ball. I was like, what did we do? Oh, my God. I'm thinking, they're fixing to leave. Everybody that we know is about to go back home, and we've got a few people moving up here, but we, know, we don't know anybody. We don't have a clue. Like, what, what, did, what caused us to make this decision? And so we get into the church planning process, and, and man, I, I tr just began to beat my own path. I began to, to work. I began to labor. I began to, to try to do all the right things. And the thought of intimacy with God was that the only time I got intimate with God was whenever I would go to the school parking lot beside our apartment complex, and I would cry my eyes out, and I would give it to God because nothing was going right. I don't know if you can consider that being intimate, but that was about the only time. God, why did you move us up here? Why did you do this? There was a certain amount of money that our organization was going to give to us to plant the church. And I remember just four months after we moved, we had a change in leadership with the state of what we would call our state overseer in the state of Tennessee. And he sent the state youth director to meet with me. And they, this was a large sum of money that they were supposed to give. And they put a $500 check across the table and he said, the overseer sent me to tell you that his heart's not in church planning. Good luck to you guys. And I'm thinking, God, what's going on here? 
And man, I tried to create my own path and do my own thing. I lost sight of that preferred future, that, that God, had, that dream that God had placed inside of me. And a year and a half later, we crashed and burned. It was over. That dream that I thought was my dream was now dead. It was gone. I share that to say this. Some of you in this room, God's given you a dream. But because you lost sight, because of the distractions, because of the struggle of your life, you lost sight of that preferred future that God had for you, that God created for you. And you're a lot like I was. You're struggling with God. You're struggling in your relationship. You're questioning. And I don't think God gets frustrated with our questioning. But sometimes I think he just wants us to put our hope and our trust back in him and say, God, you know what? I can't do this on my own. I can't make this happen, but I know you can. Unfortunately, I was never willing in that scenario to, to do that. So now through life's journey, we ended up landing in Savannah through God's provision, through his blessing. Even when I wasn't where I needed to be, God said, you know what, I'm still going to be faithful to you. And that's the beauty of relationship with Jesus is that God says, you know, I don't care how far you get out there. I'm still, I'm still going to draw you back to me. I'm still going to be faithful. Why? Because I still love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I've adopted you into my family. And when God adopts you into his family, it's more than just something where, where he's just going to let you run off and just kind of do your own thing. Now, God, God holds on tight. Holds on tight because he loves you. So I don't know where you're at in your life. I, I would hope that in some way this message spoke to you, challenged you to understand the importance of intimacy, to understand the importance that, of, of knowing that we have to keep our eyes focused on that preferred future, that destiny, that dream, that calling that God has placed in our lives. Because if we don't, if we don't get the intimacy part right, we definitely won't fix our eyes on that promise, that dream like we need to. And because of that, we'll never reach the capacity, the God-given capacity that he desires for us to live in each and every day. So here's what I want to do this morning. As y'all can tell, doing it this way is new for me. But I, I want you to stand. I want to invite you to stand right now. We're going to worship in just a moment. Before I do that, I want us to be bold. And the most important decision that anybody could make in this room today would be the decision to say, you know what? I do not have relationship with Jesus, and I need that. You've talked about living in my God-given capacity. You've talked about being intimate. You've talked about the fact that God has purpose and plans for me. I gotta have that. And so if you would be bold today and say, you know what, I, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I want that, would you just lift your hand up? The most important decision that anybody could make today would be the decision to know Jesus. So maybe you're here today and you would say, Wesley, man, 
this has been challenging because I get it. I get it now. I see why things are not clicking the way that they were clicking or the way that they need to click. And it's because I've been working a lot. I've been trying to do the right things. But because of that, I've been busy and I haven't been intimate. And I need to be intimate with Jesus because I know that being intimate with Jesus is the most important thing that I can do with my life. So if that would be you, I just want to ask you to be bold. Would you lift your hand today? I know I struggle with that within my own life. Thank you so much. Man, I feel, I feel bad because I'm like the only person in this room that struggles. Here's the thing. We've got people, I think we've got leaders that are standing on the outside of these rooms that want to pray for you. I want to pray for you if you need prayer. And so I'm going to make myself available after I pray. As they begin to sing, we've got these leaders that are dispersed throughout this room. If you need prayer today, maybe it's for intimacy. Maybe it's for relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're just going through something and you're trusting God and you're being intimate, but that answer hadn't come clearly yet and you just need somebody to pray. Whatever it might be today, make your way to one of these leaders. Make your way to me in this altar and we'll pray for you. Can we pray and then we're going to worship. Father, we thank you for your word today. I thank you that your word is sharp. God, that it does cut, that it does, that it cuts out the stuff in our lives that, that are, are unneeded. We don't even want, we struggle with it, but we don't want it. We thank you, God, that, that it's your word that brings life. It brings hope. It helps us to fix our eyes on that preferred future that you have for us that we know involves great plans for our lives. God, if there's anybody in this room today that is struggling, I pray that they would be bold and courageous to just step out and find somebody that loves them, that cares about them, and wants to pray with them. We bring you glory right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's worship him.